this week we are joined by Kate Bushell from Montreal, Quebec. Kate is currently a partner, beverage and education director, and bartender for the Barocco Group. Several of the businesses under this ownership group include Atwater Cocktail Club, Milky Way Cocktail Club, and Bondelier Bar. Kate originally left the restaurant and bar industry for a successful public and government relations career, but approximately a decade ago returned to the industry as what brought her back was her true passion for local flavors, spirits, and cocktails, as well as her natural inclination toward the art of hospitality. In her role as Director of Beverage and Education for the Barocco Group in Montreal, Kate strives to lead by example, help build a stronger and healthier community, and give back along the way through mentorship and knowledge sharing. We had a terrific interview with Kate. Enjoy the show. Okay, we are back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. How's it going? Still awesome. No real change there. It's great to hear. Yeah, (laughs) things go with you. Great. Just great. Nice. Nice. Up to my ass with the AGCO is once again, it's always fun times. Yes. Well, you know, our, our illustrious premier, the Honorable Doug Ford, you know, it's all he's. It's, he's <laughs> I can't even start with this organization. I haven't even started dealing, dealing with the city yet. So, oh, yeah. But if that ever happens, there will be a new bar open in Cambridge. You should get ready for that. The Argyle Arms. Nice. Uh, what about the other two bars? Yeah, the other two bars. Uh, we have Sugar Run Downtown Kitchener at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram for all of the upcoming events. We've had a burlesque show doing a lot of live music and DJs recently. So stay tuned to our page. That's where you'll hear all of the news. And then Uptown Babylon Sisters Wine and Cocktail Bar. That is uh, Uptown Waterloo and... Also at Babylon Sisters Bar on Instagram. You can check out what's happening there. Paul Mitchell and the Rum Runners playing a couple shows in April. You'll want to check that out. We have Alex Price once a month, Sunday afternoons. So you'll want to check out our Instagram page to uh, so you don't miss anything. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And as always, love links to all that in the show notes as well. Great. We should also mention that if you like what we're doing here on the show, you should subscribe, rate, and review. It helps a great deal. And we can also mention that if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can EM us directly at the industry podcast on Instagram. Or you can email info at the industry club. And finally, Zach Hanna does the artwork for the Instagram. So we should give him a shout out. That's at Zach H-A-N-N-A-H. Check out all the graphic work he's doing and hit him up for your own graphic arts needs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He does some cool mm-hmm. stuff on Instagram all the time. Yeah. So that's enough about us. We have Kate Bushell with us here for coming to us from Montreal. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Thanks. Okay, Hi. good. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for having me. Yes. And uh, apparently you just had a big birthday. So that's exciting yeah. news. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Super excited. Uh, just turned 40 and oddly enough, really comfortable with that. Yeah, I'm going to try and do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I wish I could turn 40 one more time. Just a couple more times, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, Kate, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing there in Montreal. You are the Director of Beverage and Education for the Barocco Group. Am I pronouncing that properly? Yeah. Oh, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm nailing this. Uh, <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about what your responsibilities are there and the, and what the Barocco Group is exactly. Uh, so I'm actually Director of Beverage and Education, partner, kind of, I guess, like I oversee all of our head bartenders in uh, three cocktail bars, uh, three restaurants. And um, yeah, just 
a day in the life is very busy, hopping from bar to bar, restaurant to restaurant, making sure that everything's run smoothly for inventory, for staff, for knowledge, cocktail menus. Yeah. Out of curiosity, are they generally close together, location Actually, fairly, fairly close. Uh, so thank goodness for that. Yeah. Uh, we have a restaurant in Old Montreal, Barocco, that's been around for actually 15 years this summer. Oh, uh, geez, so big celebration cool. there. Yeah. We have then uh, seven years ago this summer, we opened Atwater Cocktail Club and Foie Gras. So they're in St. Henry on probably like the most transient corner in on the island of Montreal. <laughs> so Atwater and Notre Dame, right next to the Atwater Market. And then uh, in 20, January 2019, we opened Milky Way Cocktail Bar, as well as Fugazi Pizza. So it's Napolitano style pizza and Ooh. this glorious, uh, I guess, Miami meets tropical cocktail bar uh, upstairs uh, above. And then the most recent and newest baby to our collection is uh, Bon Delire, which we opened a little bit further into uh, St. Henry. And that one uh, is a dive cocktail bar. So we opened a month ago. Oh, oh nice. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. So when you're talking about being like director of food and education, that uh, does the education mostly refer to staff training or... or- or are there other responsibilities there? Yeah, so staff training. I also help, essentially, like, I manage all of the bar teams. So that includes, like, the whole staff for bars, specifically, and then bar teams specifically for restaurants. Make sure that cocktail knowledge is up to par, spirit knowledge as well. I help coordinate all of our uh, all of our psalms for wines. And so that one's mostly, like, for inventory and everything. I let them definitely take the lead on that. And, and then education is always like, you know, I make sure that the kitchen is properly coordinating with all of our staff so that everyone has all the information because there's food, a food component in all of our bars in addition to the restaurants as well. Oh, right. Yeah. That, that sounds yeah. like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not solo. Thank God. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, as with everything, everything takes a village. So. Right. It's it's a very large role, but obviously, like of all of the partners, there's also another one that helps more so with restaurants, one more so with bars, and then in the and then I also have a coordinator with me, and obviously all of the lead managers and all of the head bartenders I work very closely with. So it's it's more of a massive coordination job, mm-hmm. I'd say, and just making sure that. Uh, that everyone has what the tools they need in order to perform at their highest level. Right. So actually we had the head bartender from the Atwater on the show years ago. Right? Yeah. That would have been like Thomas. two years ago. Thomas. Yeah. 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 So Thomas is actually, he's no longer a head bartender at Atwater Cocktail Club. He is now a partner in the new project. Bon Delire. Oh, good oh, for nice. him. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, tell him we say, Hey, he was, he was a super nice guy. I remember that. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. so how many partners are involved in the whole group? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the group itself is, and so it's, it's a bit of a, a puzzle, if you will. So there are three original owners for Barocco restaurant and to which, uh, a, a fourth was added, um, are, are essentially our, our head manager there. He's now also a partner, Ayub, um, and he's our sommelier over there. 
And then when we opened Atwater and Cocktail Club in Fogwa, there are, um, I think, four that added on. So it's a lot of partners. And then, mm-hmm. so those are like the original ownership, if you will. And then we have associate partners like myself, our, our um, head of human relations and our, I guess, what would her title be? We have Anne-Marie, who is not, I wouldn't say logistics. She's like operations, essentially. So everything that has to do with reservations, groups, uh, the financial aspect of like, you know, weekly uh, caches and everything. So that's her, as well as my equivalent on the restaurant, uh, like on the kitchen side, everything food related and uh, our head of security, Tony. So we've all been there the five of us have been there since Atwater and Fogwa opened. And so that was a really great way of bringing us on and um, elevating us beyond just our, our regular nine to five. That's crazy. That's uh, yeah. It must be hard to keep it all straight. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So it's yeah. just like, it really is proof that no matter how business oriented you are, bringing on new partners and allowing that development to happen more organically is actually very fruitful. Mm-hmm. And it's good system too to get like the people who are already have been working at the individual bars or restaurants involved in an in ownership stake as well because they already like they're already invested right like uh, like emotionally invested. Well, all of the original owners are very much hands on. They mm-hmm. all have a very functioning role. So, like our we have two executive chefs who are part of it. Then we have that person, like our original Sam Roberto Perez, who he is now now essentially in charge of everything restaurant marketing and uh like design and then we also have uh some minority partners who have like our architect and design firm uh so they're involved with us on every single project right so they're not only invested in their own name but also in making sure that our places are are really not just beautiful but also um don't break down Mm-hmm. Which sounds weird, yeah. but you know, I mean, like you, you both know how everything breaks. Right. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's great. I mean, to have everyone so invested like that, if there's repairs to be brought, there's all, there's someone specifically for it and everyone has their own stake in it. So it's very much like a, a community now rather than just like seeing if you want to look at it that way more than a, more than a traditional business ownership model. Mm. And how um, how involved do you get in, like, for instance, cocktail menu development, that sort of thing? Because obviously you had an illustrious career as a bartender before you took on this role. So I'm sure part of you still misses being involved in the behind the bar stuff. I still love taking part in all of the development. Um, I do more so for, I guess, the restaurants to a certain extent, uh, just because the bar teams are a little different. And then for the bars specifically, it's a lot more coaching. So obviously every now and again, I'll add in an extra cocktail or whatever, but we do it as a team, really. Like we come together, we sit down, I coach them also on, on cocktail presentation, not just visually, but also like the verbal skills and everything on how to present in order to help them maybe start competing as well. If that's something that interests them so that they can kind of, you know, do it in a comfortable setting with their peers and then we kind of just go on that and and then we 
do tweaks together or suggest tweaks and then they come back and then we just kind of all sit down together to develop menus that's how we've been functioning for all of the the bars mm, yeah that's the, i mean that's good it's, it's great to have like full staff involvement in all of that i mean the more palettes you have involved in a cocktail development situation the better right so yeah that and also we approach all of our bars as great schools Right. Right. So most of our bartenders started out with us as barbacks. Um, and so we like to know that they're getting really knowledge on every single level. Right. They're able to bus. They're able to barback. They're able to bartend. They're able to serve and they can kind of do everything. Uh, and it means also if they're creatively inclined, they can participate that much more in menus. And if they're a bit more on the execution side or management side, if that's what floats their boat, then they don't need to necessarily always submit cocktails, right? So right. they get involved to the level that they want to be involved in. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So uh, talking a little bit about your career previous to this gig that you have, you've done a, quite a few things, but like in the, on the bartending side, obviously you were nominated for Bartender of the Year, Tales of the Cocktail, which is pretty amazing. Talk to us about this cocktail that you had named as one of the best cocktails or whatever. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact distinction it had, but please tell us about that. Yeah. Are you talking about the, the, the Canadian thing? I think so, yeah. Let me just... Yeah. Uh, that better, better not yeah. be a rum and coke. Yeah, rum no, and coke. <laughs> so it's, it's funny. So it was like en route and lot 40 so oh. five years ago. Yeah, I think it was a five. Yeah, five years. Yeah, ago. the Dominion. Six. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really funny. It was just like Lot 40 and En Route got together and did a project for Canada's 150th. Mm-hmm. And it was like Canada's next great cocktail. And uh, so we were five bartenders that were flown with Dave Mitten uh, to Fogo Island. Oh, wow. For, I, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was incredible. So it was like the last few days of February, first few days of March. It was winter. Oh, we yeah. got stuck in a snowstorm. I uh, know, but we all, all five of us, it was Shane Behan from Halifax, myself, Gord Hanna from Toronto, Sam Kazuga back when she lived in Alberta before in Calgary, before moving to onto New York and Dead Rabbit and now Temple Bar and, you know, her and her her great career and amber bruce from kiefer bar out in vancouver so it was like the five of us we just flew out there and we each presented a cocktail and then the five of us together kind of decided which would best represent an easy delicious cocktail that represented our great cocktail like our our great country and yeah yeah, so the dominion it was like what was in it um it was lot 40 there was saskatoon berries I grew up in I grew up in Saskatchewan, so that was like my my little hometown right there. There was a little salinity for our coasts. There was ginger also because we produce a lot of ginger in this country. What else was there? There was like apple cider and sounds pretty Canadian. I think yeah, it was it was yeah, it was like very much like a. A little maple syrup uh, to speed it up. Yeah, yeah, there you go, right? Uh, no, oh, there was a uh, cherry brandy. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah, cherry brandy as well. It's super tasty. Uh, and it was just funny. It was like, I think Gord presented something that was inspired by by a Timmy's double double. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Nice. So it was, like, so it was Canadian, not really, yeah. yeah, it wasn't like a great big competition. I see. Yeah. The likes yeah. of like a Diageo or, or anything of the form. But it was a great opportunity for bartenders from coast to coast to come together, kind of share 
on their um, their experience. And we just had a great time in one of the most um, one of the most beautiful and jaw dropping parts of our country. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that I would have ever made it out to Fogo Island. Right on my yeah. own. Yeah, most of us yeah. can't afford it. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I remember checking out the room rates. I was like, Oof. yeah. One of our uh, friends and a former guest on the show was uh, the psalm there for a bit, and oh, uh, yeah, yes. and she she was telling us a little bit about the pricing there. It was like, pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's um, pretty incredible. Um, no, I I definitely the the five of us are so grateful for that opportunity. It was. It was very much, very unique, a once in a lifetime thing. Dave is also, you know, we talk about it every year. Every year on the anniversary, we're like, this is where we were. (laughs) Um, And no, so that was really great. And then obviously that project we were in on Air Canada flights from coast to coast. Right, yeah. Actually around the world for like six months or something. Yeah, they don't change those magazines too often. I know that, so... No, but also like on yeah. the on, on video, like oh, oh, on the video thing, right? Yeah, of course. yeah. So you know yeah. how like there are always those commercials when yeah, you start yeah, watching yeah. a movie or whatever. There was like a four minute video or something of us. Oh, cool! Trekking with and, and now you, like after that fifteen minutes of six months of fame, there now you've uh, like. <laughs> Brought it all home with a guest appearance on the industry podcast. Yeah. So exactly, <laughs> so, there you go. up and up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do have to ask one question. Since you mentioned Saskatchewan, I've been to Saskatchewan a few times, but not for like a couple of decades. So how'd you end up in Montreal? So my father used to work for International Harvesters. They oh. moved around a lot. Oh, uh, okay. So selling big farm equipment. Right. Uh, gotcha. So. We, like, I have two sisters, and we were each born in, I well, actually, false. I, my middle sister and I were both born in Winnipeg, but at two, upon two different stays in Winnipeg. Oh, jeez. Mm. You went to Winnipeg twice. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> I was just born there. Um, <laughs> yeah, much say the first time, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, no, but I spent a lot of summers in Saskatchewan, and then after that, uh, we moved to Montreal. Ah. And that, that's the time to spend in Saskatchewan. It's definitely summer. Definitely. Definitely. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, like now you're opening up all these bars and restaurants in Montreal and like a lot of them are cocktail focused uh, cocktail lounges. How do you like what's the secret to standing out for a cocktail lounge in a city like Montreal that's like known for it? Because, for instance, like when I opened my first cocktail bar here in Kitchener, Ontario, like there really wasn't any fucking competition right like there, there wasn't a whole lot of other so it was it was an easier i like it's a little easier it's two ways like one thing one part is that it's, you got to get people's heads around the whole concept if you're kind of the first person that can be a struggle but i think it's even more of a struggle on your end when like montreal is known for great cocktail lounges right so, and like that sort of european feel so talk to us a little bit about how you how you get yours to stand out in a few ways actually so i think the first one is that there is not a high concentration of cocktail bars in each borough Mm. in each area and each area in which there are multiple bars themes and styles are sufficiently unique and different in their own right that you want to do the trek and you want to make it um you want to make it a destination right Mm. so hot water cocktail club is Next to a really great restaurant, we do brunches on weekends. So you can do like your little brunch. You can go out and then like go and walk around and then come back at five o'clock 
pot for an early cocktail and then move on to dinner, right? If you're traveling in, in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's near Joe Beef, Vin Papillon. It's near a lot of great restaurants uh, that are really well known. So people make that a stop within their evening out. Milky Way Cocktail Bar is solo in its area and... It was the first bar in a really long time. We took over an old pub that had been closed for a few years. And um, so it's that one's a rejuvenating area of the city right now. There are like since we've opened, there is now a beer store that became a bit of a beer focused cocktail bar but it remains a place where you can just like go in and buy beer uh so that's great that adds to it as well and like bon délire we opened up in between a super dive bar uh like a classic dive bar that has like live music twice a week and quarts of 50 yeah exactly but we also have them but yeah <laughs> good for you that's, it. that's a montreal thing, thing. yeah <laughs> we call them les gros yeah i love it yeah. that's the first thing i do when i go to montreal is get one of those at one of those dive bars so exactly <laughs> yeah. right so it's like really well known and the courcelle is one of our favorite dive bars like our, our group we all of us we always end up there mm-hmm. but the halfway between that and another bar that's kind of like a wine bar earlier in the night and then at night becomes a bit more clubby it's called Loic. we have our cocktail dive bar right so it's like right. we're actually able now to keep people in the area because we're close to another like we're in between the elena restaurant and tuck shop and barbara that is they're all more like wine focused and then there people have three choices that are unique and different enough from one another that you might actually even want to hit up all three in one night. Right. And I and think you can that, because they're in one block. Right. And, and that's I a, think that's kind of like yeah. our thing. Yeah. And that's important because like I people tend to look at oh, we've talked about this a, a bunch on the show. I preach about it all the time in town. Like people it, having more bars in your area is not competition. It's exactly what you need because people don't want to hang out in one spot all night anymore. Right. They want to exactly. bounce around to different spots. So if you're solo in your area, like say Milky Way was originally then it's that makes it even harder like it was actually yeah, yeah. you're 100 right it was actually a bit more difficult because people would leave earlier right and then the bar would be a bit more empty late at night or it would take a few hours at the beginning of the evening for people to make their way to that area so it becomes more of a destination bar right but having more places open keeping people within that area that sector um i think like the same thing the same thing started um was for like cloakroom cloakroom yeah. is downtown they have really good i'm gonna say happy hour because not everyone knows what a cassette is but, uh, <laughs> uh i'm like for context cassette is the hours of between five and seven because the concept of happy hour it's so weird right i'm like yeah. no we don't have better pricing it's not like that kind uh, of happy hour but yeah so just like that right after work period they get nice and full and then people stay they go out for dinner um and then they come back but it's downtown downtown bleeds out after 5 p.m right like a lot of downtown courts that being said they're now a destination and they're close to a lot of hotels right so that allows people to go and be a part of that sector a bit more and same thing for say like Pequeno and, and 
cold room in old Montreal. They're in and around a lot more places and you can start out there and end up at a bar that's more of a club after if you want you know like so as you're saying yeah like keep people in and they'll stay in your area and you're always going to be full but just with a different clientele depending on the hour right yeah no it's perfect the other thing i wanted to talk to you a little bit about after rolling through your bio was that you took a little hiatus from the bar industry for a while talk to us about what you were doing during that little period yeah so Actually, yeah, I spent a great number of years in restaurants and bars when I was younger, and um, I studied political science. Oh, oh us too. So did we. <laughs> Look there at you that. Go. We're scientists. Ex- <laughs> ex- exactly. We're scientists. It just allows us to bitch a bit more about Doug Ford. And, yeah. That's right, yes. There you go. And the AGCO, or the SAQ in our case, too. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, brutal, both of them. Ugh, right? Yeah. <laughs> So I I did that. And obviously I had a big plan. I was like, I was going to become prime minister. I was going to know. When I was young, that's kind of what I wanted to do. As I got older. That's funny. (laughs) And as I got older, though, I I didn't want to be in that kind of politics. I always kind of wanted to be more so on the, um, on the like community organizing side of it. And everyone in my family always was like, you should be in PR. PR is so you. So what did I do? I succumbed to family pressure mm-hmm. and I kind of stuck it out and I, I was doing public relations for, for a while. And I think after about eight years of doing all of that, suffering from one burnout um, at one point earlier on, I kind of realized that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. I had been approached by a friend of mine who, like a high school friend of mine, who organized uh, competitions and he was looking for someone to help with their PR. And I started helping him. And I was like, this is what the cocktail world became. Like, my last job making cocktails is like at this bar. And it was like, you know, old 90s style martinis. Right. And yeah. it was just not the same. Right. So I yeah. was like, this is very cool. This also showed me and brought me back to the reality that what we do behind bars is PR. 100%. Just yeah. a completely different type that we never really talk about when you study PR. Right. <laughs> right. It's community relations. It is that kind of like direct PR one-on-one with people. One of my favorite things to do when I'm behind the bar is spot people who are kind of like low energy, um, maybe solo and, or, you know, couples or people that are two by two, but kind of like not really talking all that much, or they seem to be having a little bit more of a chill night. And I, at the end of the night, get everyone talking and meet, everyone meets. And that person who was solo ended up having great chats with like, should be my coworkers, myself, other people around them. And then it just becomes one big party. And I love doing that because then at the end of the day, those people have met someone new. They've been put in a context that maybe they were a little uncomfortable at first, but got them out of their shell and all around a really great cocktail. So their experience becomes really memorable. And, right. uh, so that's what really kind of drew me back in. Mm-hmm. And so I said, fuck you, PR. Fuck <laughs> and I let everything go. And I think my parents at first, almost, I almost maybe gave them a heart attack. Yeah, that's a like, big move. Yeah. What did you just do? And I was like, just trust, trust. And uh, yeah, within like the first year of my getting back behind the wood 
I uh, started doing competitions and I just had so much fun. And yeah, I kind of just never looked back. Did you mind me asking how old you were when you decided to get back into bartending? I was 30. 30. So yeah, so you, you did like this whole uh, threat doing PR and you're like mid to late 20s. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so, you, yeah, no doubt your family thought that was the path you're taking at this point. That was a bold move. At least you were still really young, though. Like, it, that, it's a lot harder to do the older you get, right? Um, yeah. Change it career paths. <laughs> it was also like a really big period of change in my life at that exact moment, too. Like, I had plans, you know, moving out to, to San Francisco. And I got there and I got my heart broken, um, came back. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, that big period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> questioning yourself after a major heartbreak. And uh, so I, I think it's just every vector was pointing in that same direction. And it was just like a great cataclysmic moment in my life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, so talk to me a little bit about San Francisco. You were moving out there for a relationship and you were planning like, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you, didn't, you didn't know what you were going to do when you got there. Or did you have like a... Well, I was working on like I was working on PR campaigns here. Right. I was essentially doing them remote. Oh, okay. You know, so yeah, it's pretty easy to do. Remotely. Right. Yeah, I guess. What are you yeah. doing? Most most clients were always just like, I just want you to get me some media coverage. So you're spending yeah. your time on the phone, sending out emails, press releases. Like get get caught with a hooker. Like, it's easy. Know, right? exactly. <laughs> it, it is easy. Trust me. <laughs> So yeah, and, and I at first I like I was already really I've always always loved wine and spirits beer as well though I no longer am able to drink beer but yeah I always loved wine and spirits so for me it was like a moment when like in that transition and that attempt in San Francisco I was like oh maybe I'll just like I'll work for an agency that specializes in in bars and restaurants right and so that was like my first um, my first thoughts of that kind of switch back into this industry. And then when I had to come back to Montreal, I was approached by that friend who was doing cocktail competitions. And I was like, oh, so I'm just going to do it here instead. And then the more I started doing it and I started working with uh, a few friends who owned a restaurant in uh, Verdun at the time called Tribes and Caviar. And so Melanie Omer, who was behind the wood and John Mike Leblanc, who was the owner and, uh, and chef, they, they allowed me, like I did, I helped them with PR. I did events with them and Mel kind of brought me up to speed on what had changed in the industry. And that's how I kind of found my footing. And I was like, you know what? I am done with the PR aspect. And I just kind of jumped right in. Yeah. And like, did you find it a steep learning curve at that point when you're like, because like you said, the industry had changed quite a bit in the time you were gone. And now it's like probably more back to like classic cocktails and everybody doing their own signature cocktails and like, all the molecular, molecular, molecular. Wow, that was tough for me to say this time. Um, uh, influence on cocktail making as well, or was it kind of like easy for you? Fairly easy. Oh, me. good. There you go. <laughs> I, I I remembered my ratios mm-hmm. fairly well from all the classics. I always kind of knew them, and I guess it was kind of easy when you because if I'm sure like most people recognize that when you take classic recipes and put them side by side, it's all pretty much the exact same thing. You're just swapping out ingredients here and there, but your ratios remain pretty golden. There's a reason why we've got a golden ratio. Um, 
so as soon as you kind of understand that and with great tools like the flavor Bible at your disposal or chefs, you know, and kind of having those chats, you kind of, and if you're mildly curious in terms of culinary world, you know, you're, you're going to be interested in integrating bold new flavors or seek out, you know, methods. If I always loved chemistry and physics. I just always knew that I didn't really want to do that for a living. Well, you are and a scientist. Here I am. Yeah. I'm doing <laughs> chemistry and physics on a daily yeah. basis. Yeah. Just in a completely different way. So it's like I love talking with like Thomas and I always talk about clarification and let's talk about kegging and we get super geeky and my friend Jonathan Omier from the Four Seasons of Montreal we're just constantly like we'll sit down we'll do these evenings where we meet up in my apartment because I have a lot of booze and uh, <laughs> I'm far more central living as well than he is and we'll just kind of sit down and all of a sudden we'll be talking about our favorite espresso martini ratios and then we'll be like let's test them out and see which one's better and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll do that or We'll talk about so and so and their theory on the best, like the on the best liqueur nut sour. You know, like we'll be like, okay, let's do it with the amaretto sour. Let's try it with like the orange and lemon. Let's just do lemon. Let's do with the. We'll we'll geek out on our own time and then yeah, I guess yeah. I just spend way too much of my time doing this. But it's good that you still have the passion for it, right? Because like uh, there comes like you. If you spend tons of time in the service industry, sometimes you can get a little jaded and stop caring, but you clearly still have the passion for making the drinks and uh, and trying new things. Uh, I was, I'm was i interested in asking you in your time in the industry what you think one of the biggest changes has been. Like, for instance, for me, in my, like, I'm older than you, but like the biggest development in my lifetime of being behind a bar in what changed how cocktails are made was the introduction of like the culinary side of it, where yeah. now we're like dealing, like so many of us, if you, if you have a chef background, it's such an advantage now. And if you don't, then you better fucking get to be good friends with a chef. (laughs) But uh, I was interested if you you agree with that or if there was another sort of trend that you've noticed uh, develop over your time in the industry. There are many. I think what the biggest change for me, especially given the fact that there was that clean break and return so many years later it was like yeah. the use of fresh ingredients right so kind of i guess that culinary aspect yeah you don't need the fresh ingredients so much in those multicolored martinis i mean <laughs> yeah. uh was it sour mix much? yeah i mean which is kind of when you think about it it's hilarious because it's all, all of these acids that we all love playing with now right yeah <laughs> We look at it and we're like, well, we're creating just a better sour mix than what we were using. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, Thomas and I would definitely argue about that one because we use a lot of oleocitrates in our keg cocktails, especially for the new cocktail bar, uh, the dive cocktail bar. But I think that the the pendulum went over the last, I guess, like 20 years, went super far into old school classics. Everything needs to be so perfect and well thought out. And now it's swinging back towards how can we take all of those learnings and start having fun again? Mm. And I think that that like, it's so fun and, and entertaining that now we have three bars under our umbrella and all three bars represent that perfectly. Mm. So it's like at water contact club, you're more chill. Like it's, 
you think it's a speakeasy and it starts off as that when you walk in at five o'clock at 11 o'clock, you realize, no, like this gets loud, this gets fun, but the cocktails are very, very serious. And like, there are a few fun ones. Yes. But the style is a bit more like that kind of serious note and elevated, really well thought out. And then Milky Way cocktail bar, though, very well thought out, it starts becoming a bit more fun, like reintroducing blue curacao and having that kind of tropical but like really well balanced and and um, representative of kind of the space and then a dive cocktail bar where we're like well we've got a cocktail called make it strong bro which is essentially just a better long island iced tea on tap oh nice (laughs) and i'm not even joking it's our actually it's our most popular cocktail right now but it's like a really well-made mojito on top or um you know a french 75 on top. So, so is that like, the, that's the thing with the sorry to interrupt you, but the, is that the thing, is that the thing with like the new spot is like you're doing mostly tapped cocktails? Yeah, so we have 15 taps, 12 of which are cocktails. No, and then we awesome. do have a yeah, it's great. Honestly, it's execution. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of work on the back end, but sure. like yeah. it's, that's what but yeah, the guests don't see that. They're just like, look how easy this fucking bartending job is. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, oh my god, I got my great cocktail in like three minutes between ordering and reception. Yeah. Like, oh, I'd be shit faced constantly if I was in a place like that. So think about yeah. it this way: there's a leopard print pool table, neon oh. everywhere. There's the top cocktails. Uh, at any point of the night, someone from behind the bar might put a weird hat, party hat on you. Um, <laughs> and you'd be surprised how many people just go with the flow and keep it on. Uh, Fuck, I'll be yeah, there on Friday. Megaphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, it's absolutely, it's it's wonderful. It's, I, it's so a much megaphone? Fun. I'm, yeah. Oh, I walked in the other day for my birthday. I know I walked in the other day and like someone grabbed it, put on the siren. And all of a sudden they were like swinging bags of balloons on my head. And I was like, (laughs) this is the greatest reception for my birthday of all time. It was Mm. great. Um, But yeah, so I think that's one of the biggest changes. And then I think the other one is staff and uh, just employment on that side. So it's like, I love that people, I, I feel like maybe not the majority, but close enough to the majority of people in our industry now really are approaching it as a career. Mm-hmm. And that to me is golden, right? Because you have, have the ability to work longer with those individuals, make sure that you're bringing them up and that you're providing those opportunities for growth and and you're you're investing in them as much as they're investing in you and then those who are not necessarily taking it as a career are still then taking it seriously enough that they're investing whatever time they are allotting to you um, and giving you their all during that time. And I think a bit more than before. Um, And I think we can all agree that the return post pandemic was really difficult Mm -hmm. in that respect. Like staffing was horrendous last year and we were forced into a situation where we were hiring very much, much younger, very green yeah. servers, bartenders, um, and even in the kitchens. But just within a year, those people have stuck around, a lot of them. And I think that we're rebuilding that very well and very consciously and conscientiously. And we have better work ethics. I remember bosses like from 20 years ago were far more difficult to work with than today. Yeah, I don't think that there are as many shitty-ass bar and restaurant owners 
Just this one. Yeah, just you. Just you. Just me. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to make it out. (laughs) No, I know. I agree with you. And it's funny with the during the pandemic, there was that stretch where we were hiring people who were not really qualified to work at the level that we were trying to deliver service. Yeah. Uh, And but the ones that stuck around and stuck it out have become a lot of them have become good. Right. And that's it's just it, it was just normally we would be hiring at a level that they already had that level of experience. And it's just kind of a different game now where you got to train them up a little bit more. Yeah. And I mean, at the same time, it's great because then it allowed a lot of career servers and bartenders to kind of turn around and be like, you know what, I'm I'm going to try my hand at something else because they had not necessarily had that opportunity to change careers at some point. Right. Like I made a conscious decision to come back to it. Mm -hmm. As I'm sure at one point you made that conscious decision that when you're going to start owning a bar, Mm. you're in it mm. like you're in it yeah. for the long run it's not yeah. a transitional phase no like, not anymore yeah it was transitional for the first 30 years <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i think that those are those are two the two main things that i'm happy changed mm. Yeah. And And it's good to get some fresh voices too, right? Because like I always say, as soon as you have decided that you figured everything out, you're fucked, right? So like having like people who have a completely green perspective coming in, I mean, sometimes that is not a good thing, but sometimes they come with some ideas as well that you just would never have thought of. 100%. 100%. Especially if they worked elsewhere, right? Like, I mean, I had a lot of corporate background. I understood what it was like to work in top heavy organizations and that had a lot of red tape and whatever. And so that gave me a different approach to how to manage employees as well. Because mm-hmm. I actually had a background in working with HR and I had worked under managers who trained like properly trained to be managers instead of just like, oh yeah, you've been here long enough. Let's yeah. uh, make you a manager and uh, let's hope it all works out well. Yes, it should be good. You know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, actually this... I kind of really want to say that one of the best changes or evolutions in our industry is the development of community because more than ever, like we have Canadians and every other international community flocking to Tales of the Cocktail or flocking to Barcomb in Brooklyn and Barcomb in Berlin and, and all of these like, or even Toronto uh, Cocktail Conference, right? Like, which I, I heard is coming back, which I'm super excited about. I heard um, that too, but I haven't seen any details yet, but. You know. I know, Josh, Jess, give us details. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, those and all of these podcasts and books everything is allowing us to deep dive better into all of it and are answering a lot of questions that we like I'm gathering you and my younger self would have never had access to. Mm -hmm. And so that is allowing us to develop better community. Like, I mean, we're, our group, we're always bringing up bartenders from bars from around the world, right? Like, I mean, on April 4th, we have the Clumsy, uh, or sorry, April 5th, we have the Clumsies coming into town. And then after that, we're going to Toronto during Restaurants Canada show and doing an event at Bar Mordecai. Like we are, Christina Vera and I are going down to Colombia to Alquimico in, in Cartagena, and we're bringing them back up after uh, in the middle of the summer. You know, like, I mean, we're doing all of these things and bringing people so that bartenders who are local get to meet people that oftentimes they look up to or have never met or wish they'd met. And not everyone has the chance to travel to certain countries. So, you know, by doing that, we're 
just building and developing stronger community. And I find that really, really impressive. I agree. And that's like a perfect spot to leave it. So thanks very much, Kate. That was perfect. Yeah. Let our listeners know where they can follow you and uh, the whole group. So you can find me at Kate Bushel, all in one. Kate Bushel on Instagram on pretty much every single platform, though Instagram is the better one. Barocco Group on Instagram as well. And from there, you will find links to all of our establishments. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, let it, shoot us an email and let us know when you're coming to do this thing at Bar Mordecai. We'll come up and see you. Yeah, yeah well, that, that's an easy trip for us. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Restaurant Canada show. So April 10th, 11th, and 12th. Okay. Well, I'm going to be trip to Columbia myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, know, right? really, he, he won't make it back from Columbia. So mid, <laughs> mid May, dear. Mid yeah. May. But yeah, yeah. no, uh, we're going to be there April 10th, 11th, and 12th. April 10th, we're doing an event during the afternoon at RC show for Atwater Cocktail Club. And then in the evening, Bon Delire is going to be slinging some draft cocktails while the Clumsies make their some delicious signatures of theirs at Bar Mordecai in the evening. And then on, I think that it's also a fundraiser. I'll give you all the details. It'll uh, be great. Shortly. Yeah. And then on the 11th, I'm giving a talk with Gord Hanna and Christina Vera on uh, bar culture in uh, the morning at our C show. And then in the afternoon, I think uh, there's the Beyond the Rail competition, which should be really fun as well. Awesome. Well, I'm great. gathering there's yeah. probably someone from Kitchener there. Yeah, I would imagine. I <laughs> I don't know who it would be, but I'll try and figure that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thanks again, Kate. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. And yeah, thanks, shoot guys. us an email with those details and we'll see if we can uh, meet you in person. Sounds great. Okay. Excellent. Thanks again. Thanks very much. Thanks again. Cheers.